Hey, I'm Daniel, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chi Alpha Podcast. What you're going to get from this podcast is biblical encouragement for college students in Milwaukee. And if you don't fit that description, this can still be a good listen for you. What you're about to listen to is our sermon series called Sent. We're studying the book of Acts, the ordinary people who had an extraordinary story. met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke woke him up saying, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Then this had dawned, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where men, many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked the outer entrance, and the servant came, named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers who had, as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Thanks for reading, Rachel. You did a great job. So we've been doing this series on Acts. We followed Acts along, we're following along the beginning of the church. Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended back into heaven, and now we have these people trying to figure out what church is. We've seen it spread from the Jews beginning into the Gentiles, We've seen God do incredible, awesome, amazing things. He's poured out his spirit on all who believe in him. He's empowered them. And through ordinary people, God has healed, delivered people from demons, and redeemed many. Peter, an unschooled, ordinary man, he's just a fisherman from Galilee, even delivered an eloquent, amazing sermon that stunned religious leaders and everyone around him on the day of Pentecost. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
God can do anything. He truly is all-powerful. And here we find Peter imprisoned. He's helpless, surrounded by 16 guards. And this is for one fisherman from Galilee. He's not Superman. There's no way that Peter could get out on his own. And there's no way that any humans could help him escape, no matter how many are in the church now. All of Herod's might and power is against Peter. And amidst this situation, the church is earnestly praying for him. They are seeking after God. And God hears and answers their prayers. They almost don't even believe it. It's so stunning. And the ending's already been spoiled, but I think it's worth saying again. Peter's there. He's sleeping. He's bound with two chains surrounded by 16 soldiers. There are even more at the entrance. And then an angel appears, shining a bright light, and frees him without even touching the shackles. They just fall off. They mean nothing to the angel. They walk past the guards, and the guards don't see them. The iron gate leading into the city opens up by itself. None of this is normal. None of this is stuff that people like us can do. This is all by the great power of God. He's more powerful than shackles, more powerful than guards, than iron gates. Human might is helpless against him. Herod is helpless against God. God has all of this power, and he uses it to free Peter. Thanks. <laughs> but there's something that I found a little off-putting here. If you want to go back to the previous slide with the verse on it, um, actually, the even more previous slide. Super previous. Anyways, we'll just move on. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> okay, well, trust me, open your Bibles and look at the passage. There's something I found a little off-putting here. It's near the beginning in verse 2. It's a really small thing. Luke writes that Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This guy, James's death, gets hardly a remark. In fact, I had to read through the passage three times to even notice that it was there. It's so small. Now, there are several James in the New Testament, and this James is the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, also nicknamed the sons of thunder. He's actually one of Jesus' closest friends, along with his brother John and Peter. So around Jesus, there were several circles. You had those who were just following him around because they wanted food, they saw him heal. It was really awesome, very exciting. They thought, maybe he'll come to end the Romans. You had others who were disciples, and they were learning from him and actually obeying him. And then you had the 12 disciples whom he'd handpicked to follow him. And then even within the 12, there were these three, Peter, James, and John. James's death is significant. He's the first one of the 12 to be martyred, and again, even more than that, he's one of Jesus' closest friends. He's a prominent leader in the church. I'm sure that upon his arrest, the church was no less earnestly praying for him than they were for Peter. I'm sure that they had no less confidence in God's power to free him and his ability to save and rescue. But God does not free him or miraculously deliver him from his fate. Jesus does not send an angel, and James is put to death with the sword. 
All that's left is a little verse. And the church, when they faced Peter's imprisonment after this, knew these things. They knew that God had the power. They had seen what Jesus had done. They had seen that Jesus had risen from the dead. They saw that God did not rescue James. Peter himself, when he was in prison, knew that God hadn't rescued James. But they continued to pray earnestly. They trusted in God. They didn't wallow in disappointment. They cried out to him for deliverance, just as they surely had with James. And God delivered Peter. And no one, at least recorded, cried out about how unfair it was that Jesus saved Peter and not James. They didn't seem to find this little, this little thing, this little overlooking, off-putting in the same way that I did when I first read this. Peter kept following Jesus, even though Jesus did not save his friend. Bless you. And the church kept following Jesus, even though Jesus did not save their leader. And the sense of unfairness I felt, the sense of disappointment or how strange this was that God wouldn't save James, it, it comes from the wrong expectations of what it means to follow Jesus. I didn't really understand what it means to be his disciple. I'm still learning. Peter and James had followed Jesus for three years. He had brought them along to the Mount of Olives in Matthew 17, where they saw Jesus' glory revealed, his divine nature shown, his face literally shone like the sun. They saw his glory. A little, a chapter before, Peter, by the Spirit, after spending time with Jesus, declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They saw his power and his might. They saw him drive up demons. They saw him raise the dead. And then, even while seeing his power and his might, they saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, where he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. Actually, I believe this is on a slide, if you want to go there. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Though they could not stay awake, they kept falling asleep. Jesus kept waking them up. They saw his anguish as he began his night of wrestling with his father's will. They saw that he had been sweating drops of blood, and even though they keep, kept falling asleep, they saw this. And in the end, they saw his trust in his father. That he, instead of calling on his power and his might, the same power and might that had raised the dead, set people free from demons, healed the lame and the blind, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus trusted the father amidst his anguish, sorrow, and grief. And Jesus did his Father's will. Peter and James saw Jesus' trust in his Father and his obedience in doing his Father's will. 
and this isn't to say that Peter and James were by any means perfect followers. Peter's rather well known for his missteps. One hugely notable example is when Jesus was arrested, he denied that he knew Jesus multiple times. And this is after Jesus warned him that he was going to do this. He doubted. At one point, this is right after Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus rebukes Peter, telling him to get behind me, Satan. He was aggressive. He cut off a guy's ear. And James wasn't that different from Peter. James and his brother, the sons of thunder, misunderstood what it meant to follow Jesus, misunderstood what power is for. At one point, they wanted to call down fire on the heads of people they didn't like, which earned them the nickname Sons of Thunder, which is not complimentary. They argued about who was Jesus' favorite disciple. This is all the disciples, but these guys actually went up to Jesus and wanted to know who would get the best place in the kingdom of heaven. So they were not perfect. But Jesus, knowing all this, Jesus was faithful to them. He met them after their missteps and betrayals. He met them after their lack of trust. In John 21, we see Jesus meet with Peter following his resurrection. They eat breakfast together, and Jesus reaffirms Peter's leadership. And within this profoundly healing meeting, Jesus told Peter how Peter would die. He said, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Peter, knowing the cost of discipleship, knowing the cost Jesus paid in a humiliating and painful death, and now knowing the cost he himself will pay for following Jesus, trusted in him, and continued to follow Jesus. Peter chose Jesus with full knowledge of his horrible death. Church history holds that Peter followed Jesus to the very end. He chose Jesus daily to the very end, even in his manner of death. Peter was crucified upside down. And James also knew the cost. When James and John were asking Jesus who his favorite disciple is, who would be the greatest, Jesus replies to them, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. We're in Mark 10, if you're curious. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And while I'm sure at the time what Jesus meant was not clear to them, after Jesus died and rose, the cost is self-evident. 
James knew that to follow Christ was a promise that he would drink the same cup that Jesus did. The cup that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane begged the Father to take from him. He had seen the dregs of the cup, what's waiting at the bottom, the very bitterness of it. And James followed Jesus. He chose Jesus. In his imprisonment and death, he was not going anywhere that Jesus had not already gone. And in our pain, suffering, and eventual death, we are not going anywhere. Jesus has not already gone. Here in Acts 12, we see James drink from that cup that Jesus promised him. And Peter does not drink from that cup yet, but he knows that he will. And yet, they keep following Jesus. They are both following Jesus, and they both trust in him. Why do they keep following Jesus in light of their promised death? Why would they do this knowing that they will die by execution, that they will die violently? And they do this because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, just as Peter proclaimed, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, full of grace and truth. He does create and sustain the universe, even today, even right now as we sit here, or stand here. Jesus became human. He went through all the human things. He was born as a baby, he grew up, and he hung out with Peter and James for three years. They saw him through the highs and the lows of his ministry. And he died, the very lows. But then he rose from the dead. They believe Jesus is who he says he is, and because of that, that death is not the end. They trust Jesus with their whole life and their death. They know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. The cost of discipleship can be quite high. Peter and James were willing to die violent deaths, and they both knew that what was God was calling them to eventually. But for most of us, God hasn't promised us that we will be executed. And he isn't calling us to be executed. But to yield our lives to him and to trust his will, that his will is good, that is better than anything we're able to dream of as we're sitting and planning our lives, putting out our five-year plans, that his will is better than what we can picture. That in light of eternity, that very great reward in eternity, seeing God's glory, worshiping him, the reality that Jesus has defeated death, that we can trust God with our brief and momentary lives. We can trust that we don't need to fear death, that God will do something that outlasts us through us, as he restores all creation, that our death need not be the end. And this is often a gradual thing. We see that Peter and James spent three years following Jesus, but they still stumbled and failed time and time again. They abandoned him upon his arrest. 
They weren't willing to follow him to death then. In that, in their betrayal, Jesus met them again and again. Jesus chose them again. He called them again. And they had the chance over and over to yield their lives to him. As they yielded more and more of their lives to him, giving Jesus more and more control, trusting that what he wills is good, Jesus used them to transform the world. This is not something to force. This is not something that God will force you to do. He's not sitting around there being like, do this, do that, or else. That is not what he wants. This is never with force. Yielding your life to Jesus, giving him more of yourself, is never out of fear, but always out of trust and love for him. It's never out of fear, but always out of trust and love for Jesus. And this all comes because of his great love for you. You might not be ready to give everything in your life to Jesus. You might not know him, or you've heard of him, heard a little bit about him, but you don't trust him yet. Or it might be that giving up control is so hard. That's okay. This is a long obedience. This is a lifetime of learning. Take time to get to know Jesus. Discover that he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy with your future, with your hopes and dreams. Pray. Speak to him. Spend time with him. Read the Gospels. Read the whole Bible. Get to know the incarnate God. God in the flesh. God with us who draws near. He drew near Peter and James time and time again, and he wants to draw near to you. He wants to draw near to you tonight even. When we trust Jesus with our lives, with all of us, from our families, friends, and finances, to our futures, we will see Jesus transform the world. We will see more of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We will see those who mourn be comforted, the gentle inherit the earth, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness be filled. We will see that death is not the end, that God values and uses our short lives, which are like grass or the flowers of the field, here today and gone tomorrow to bring beauty to this earth, to play a part in his plan to restore all of creation, to make all things new. For the life that Christ gives is life to the full. Life with meaning, purpose, and identity. And it's the best thing in this world and the next. We're going to take some time to respond in prayer. So if you won't mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads. First, I want to ask that if you've never trusted your life and your death to Jesus before, if you've never decided to follow him, 
but you'd like to start tonight, if Jesus is calling you to follow him tonight for the very first time, please respond in some way. Make eye contact with me or raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Thank you. Second, if you've been following Jesus, but you feel that you haven't been trusting him with all of your life, maybe he's been revealing to you a part that you're keeping back that you'd like to give to him tonight. Please respond somehow, whether that's by making eye contact or raising your hand. I'd also like to pray for you. Thank you. So if you responded and want to start following and trusting Jesus tonight for the very first time, please pray along with me silently. Jesus, I trust you. I give my life to you and all that is in it. You are Lord of my life. I want to follow you wherever you lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you responded and want to trust Jesus with more of your life, please pray along with me. Jesus, I want to follow and trust you and walk in obedience to you, but I need your help. Search me, God, and know me. I entrust my heart and my life to you. I remember your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Out of your love, teach me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I want to pray for all of us, wherever we are in our journey. Dear Father, you see the hearts of everyone here, and you know what we need even before we ask. We want to walk with you, know you, and delight in you. Thank you that you meet us even when we aren't looking for you, that you pursue us even before we're pursuing you that it's because of your love that we're even able to love you. Show us your glory, which is your goodness, your faithfulness, your loving kindness, your trustworthiness tonight. Give us the strength to follow you, even to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at MilwaukeeXA to keep up to date on our events and services. Or stop by Bolton Hall Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in room B40.